What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Inventing the Future podcast. Our mission with this show is to introduce you to the entrepreneurs and ideas that will inspire and empower you to solve the world's biggest problems. This is Julian Alvarez, and I'm a Gen Z entrepreneur and software engineer at Facebook. My guest today is Caitlin Cross. So Caitlin focuses on the intersection of technology, innovation, and well-being. And she founded the Mindfulness Storytelling and Experience Design Studio and Consultancy, MindWise, in 2015. And with MindWise, Caitlin has advised global organizations, including Google, Facebook, Oracle, TED, Evernote, and the U.S. State Department. She teaches about these subjects, such as, for example, a class on digital well-being at Stanford University, and she serves a leadership role in the Virtual World Society. Caitlin is also an author of two books, one of them being Designing Wonder, where she talks about leaning transformative experiences in VR, and another book called Mindful by Design, where she helps individuals and teams navigate complexity and change by prioritizing mindful well-being, design, and imagination. Caitlin has created and run numerous collaborative experiences in social extended reality, where she fuses presence, awe, mindfulness, storytelling, curiosity, and emotional intelligence. To bring it all together, Caitlin's massively transformative purpose is to empower meaningful connection. But what does meaningful connection mean? And how can you use virtual reality to design meaningful experiences that produce wonder and awe? We'll talk about that in this interview, and we'll also touch on how you can solve problems by using the hero's journey to gamify life. We'll also touch on an invaluable mindset that consists of turning fear into opportunity. If you are often crippled by fear, this will help you tremendously. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into the conversation. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Julian. I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Doing awesome. I'm super excited. Moving to Cali tomorrow. I'm going to join you in the Bay Area. So be on site. <laughs> It'll be fun. I'm getting ready for your arrival. We are ready to greet you here. Yeah. You missed a little of the heat wave. But. Oh, man. I'm sure I probably did. But it's for sure going to be a hell of a party. And trust me, the heat wave does not compare with Texas, where I currently am. So. I'm happy to escape the Texas summer. <laughs> but yeah, I met Caitlin actually through a book club as part of the um, Abundance Digital community hosted by Peter Diamandis. And yeah, we've had so many great conversations and interesting topics. And Caitlin does some incredible work that we'll highlight here in this podcast. And yeah, so Caitlin, I thought I would start off by mentioning firstly that you're a professor at Stanford teaching wellness and technology. You're also the author of a book named Designing Wonder, where you talk about leading experiences in virtual reality. This was actually one of the books we recently read in the book club, which was super cool and interesting. And then finally, you also own an experience design studio and consultancy named MindWise. And between all of these things, you focus on the intersection of technology, innovation, well-being, mindfulness, storytelling, and the design of meaningful experiences. 
So I'm curious, how and why do all of these topics intersect with each other? And what is the higher level purpose you are aiming to serve with the intersection of all of these fields? These are great questions, Julian. And I have to say, it's that energy where I feel this connection, synchronicity. Whenever we would talk about topics in the book club, you and I would have these observations that seem to ring out about the meaning behind connection and what it means to be in an age right now where AI, technology, it's all kind of increasing at rapid speed in terms of our accessibility and power and ability to use tech. So the real question behind my business is how do we use technology in a mindful way? How do we empower our best selves through the integration of that tech? And also underneath it all, how do we connect with our stories and make those meaningful stories more visible to audiences, to teams? So that's really what I set out to do. Founding my company MindWise about five years ago, That was really amazing because I had been teaching for over two decades, and I come from a background studying both science and the arts. So I like to integrate a lot of that. So I feel really aligned with a lot of the community that you're a part of here on the podcast. Also, in our projects together, in our book club together, it's just great to be among like-minded people that are pushing boundaries. Definitely, especially groups of people that have such interesting and diverse backgrounds. I mean, I think the more interesting combination of backgrounds you can bring into a room, the potential spark for innovation and crazy ideas and epiphanies just becomes exponential. And that's been the case in such a quality group of people. And I guess like on that note, part of what you mentioned there is creating meaningful experiences and meaningful connections. I think that might be one example of it. But How do you think of meaning and what makes something meaningful? And then the second level to that is how you go about designing this meaning, whether it's through a connection, a meaningful connection or a meaningful experience. Yeah. So really, when I say meaning, I really talk about and work with that quality that involves creativity and the human brain, because back to this age of AI, machines can replicate processes, but they can't really say what make something a certain quality. Like it's actually the humans that supply the data sets, the meaning underneath how we read information and how we critically address something's values. So when I say meaningful connection in any relationship, whether it's a relationship between two people or whether it's our relationship to information, we get to decide what's important. And even in emotional design, we get to really feel and experience how it affects us in a way that involves a certain level of consciousness that robots don't really have. So I like to explain it with a little bit of neuroscience as related to semantics over syntax. I'm not really talking about input-output. I'm talking about the quality that we have both in an experience, in learning, in understanding, And recently, we've talked about that a little bit in book club, what it means to have a salient understanding of something. So it really is our ability to transcend experiences and say, oh, what's the real common ground here? What's the outcome? How am I actually making a creative connection between two things and building a metaphor? These type of qualities are unique to humans 
but we don't always know how to access that level of creativity. So a lot of what I'm doing right now is studying the brain, studying our relationships, and looking at how to encourage that deeper level of connection that leads to more innovation, more creativity, better quality of life. Yeah. And that's what I really like about what you're doing is that you're combining both the research component with the actual, like, how do we practically implement this and bring it to life and to actual technologies that we can apply? So how would you bridge that gap? Like from that understanding of meaningful experiences and whatnot, like how would you think about for anyone listening to this podcast, how can you go about practically deciding what is valuable? Do you have any frameworks in mind or any processes that you would recommend in order to maybe decide what's important or to design a meaningful experience for someone's own life? Sure, definitely. And this is what I do. I design and produce those experiences sometimes in what I call (laughs) physical life, which is real and also a real experience in virtual reality. So usually it starts by kind of slowing down and feeling the quality of being itself, like being in collaboration with others. I'll take teams, for example, into virtual reality and start with some type of mindfulness exercise, couple that with collaborative storytelling. That's one example that builds better presence and connection. Sometimes it involves different levels of music and imagery and a multi-sensory experience. And then imagine that a team has a goal that they're working on together. If they're doing some kind of product design, if you actually start with some type of meaningful connection in an experience, then each member, A, has a good time, B, knows better how to reach each other and understand what their sense of purpose and actual presence is before they start trying to connect to others. So I've had people tell me that, you know, in the past year, it's been really busy and they haven't taken time to slow down, to ground, to connect. So part of what I do is host and mentor experiences that are kind of like mindfulness opportunities that are inside of VR space so that people can feel that sense of embodiment and connect more internally before they start to share. So if you can imagine this can take place as an individual experience or it can be in a group setting. And it's exciting. I've been working with places that might seem unlikely, like the U.S. Department of State. They have leadership programming and they were all separated from each other physically. And they wanted to connect in a VR space and needed someone like me to be the expert advisor who leads them in, mentors them in experiences And then they had just a better team presence and better outcome. Wow. That's really interesting. So what I take away from that is like, if you are designing a product, building a company or whatnot, like, yes, the primary goal is to actually execute and build that thing and to collaborate in the process. But like most people wouldn't really think that in order to achieve that goal, one of the first things that's essential to do is to first focus on building rapport and chemistry with the team and to gain a deeper, meaningful connection and understanding between who you're working with, because ultimately the strength of that bond between people and between the team is what's going to allow you to build a better product, which might not be 
immediately intuitive, but once you grasp that concept, then the question becomes more so like if your goal is to build a product, the question first begins, how can I build a better, stronger bond with my team so that we can achieve our goal to building a better product? Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I use a lot of metaphors and sometimes it's like a sport. If we grip something too tightly, then we're not really able to have a full swing. (laughs) This applies to golf and baseball. I've played a lot of different sports over my lifetime. And I know that whenever I hold my body very rigidly and I'm focused so hard on the output, I don't actually reach that creative state of flow. So what I'm really introducing is an opportunity for people to experience that level of play and engagement and curiosity. This is where I build in aspects of wonder and awe. And you find people, this can happen again in physical life experiences, but I love to integrate technology because suddenly people start to question their sense of fixed identity or get curious about another person's point of view. You have all kinds of things you can build in with technology that let someone gain a broader perspective. And the studies of the brain now show that using some of these XR technologies, your brain becomes a little more plastic, a little more growth mindset mode, because you're invited to kind of question, where am I? What am I asked to do in this imaginary new space? And then I'll have people tell me that their third question sometimes is, who am I? I mean, there's certain ones where people are trees or they could be a creature in the ocean just exploring. So I think that the older we get, our experiences have to be just, I don't know, kind of monochrome and always very serious. And I introduce both the gravity and the levity of experiences that at the end feel very poetic and connected and meaningful. And those people who come in because it's like, yes, they want a more innovative mindset and that kind of creative output. They get there, but they're having fun along the way. And I've had people say like, wow, I didn't realize that in this experience, I would get to feel a connection to my childlike self and start to empathize and connect with colleagues and other people in a different way. So yeah, for me, it's really fun because there's always something different that comes about in the experiences. That is super cool. It's really funny because I've always wanted to be a tree and my friends sometimes call me a plant because I eat so many vegetables. So it is so wonderful to know that now I have the opportunity to be a plant and be a tree and like hopefully in the near future feel my roots and everything. But (laughs) it's another... So many mindfulness metaphors, Julian. Yes, you would feel your roots. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. What, what would you be? That's the question. If you could be any, Whoa. Oh, I mean, not just one, but what would be one of the types that you would choose? All of them. I just want to be all of them so that I can feel everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Do I have a favorite tree? <laughs> I don't even know. I really like all the trees. I don't have favorites. Well, I never thought about that. I think I like plants more, pretty plants, just nice receiving the sunlight. I think it's more the concept of a tree that attracts me, like extracting the pure energy from the sun and being able to naturally grow into its state is just wonderful. And I think there's so many lessons that I think about in relation to trees and plants. So it's beautiful. What I want to highlight here is that you're using a tool like virtual reality in order to kind of 
help us get in this state of mind that is completely divergent from our ordinary reality. And in that space, you're just like, it's so different from anything you experience in your natural day to day that it produces that sense of wonder. And in that wonder, you're in awe of the world around you. And especially if you're sharing that moment of wonder and awe with other people like your teammates, then that's really what creates the meaningful connection through which you guys can better collaborate, better understand each other. And it's like, whoa, we shared that experience now, right? And you always have that frame of reference, even when you're working hard together. Yeah. I mean, you feel it viscerally. It's kind of like the difference between being at a live concert and being at a recording. You kind of feel this different kind of pulse energy when you're in an environment with other people there are those mirror neurons that are firing and for me i realized that in the space there are a lot of different programs where you can go in for like solo meditations and that's really wonderful and there were hardly any experiences that were about empowering meaningful connection in a way that's co-creative and collaborative and i that with all the separation lately we still exist like humans throughout history have existed as creatures that like to connect in hubs and like to gather and share and we're lucky that we're in a place in time where people can now do that across different cultures across different languages yeah facilitating these experiences is part of to me what connects to the origin of purpose as humans like how can we build better experiences, both solo and also collectively. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I think in the pursuit of discovering like our own purpose, both for ourselves and just like in life in general, these meaningful experiences are at the core of discovering what it is that really drives us. Because purpose is something that's also so mystical and like ambiguous in many ways. And even for me, like I have clarity on my purpose, but at the same time, it's like, how do I know that it's that? And how do I know it's not something more? So there's always a sense of wonder, even if there's some sense of clarity. And I think the mystical experiences and the wonder are kind of like triggers in order to activate your curiosity even further in that regard. Yeah. And can I tell you, I had a conversation last week with somebody who she's an entrepreneur and started her own biotech company. And she was just saying she had a hard time. We were in this workshop where the topic was purpose and she was raised in more of a utilitarian kind of approach to it. Like to her purpose had a connection to worth and it was a very heavy word. Like you have to serve your purpose and kind of prove yourself. And sometimes that can be a great invitation, but we ended up reframing it. Like I was reframing it with her saying, what if your purpose is actually connected to your deep passion, meeting something that the world needs? And then she was like, oh yeah, you know, I have that every day. And that comes from like inside of me projecting outward. And it really seemed to encourage more freedom because I think sometimes There are different approaches to purpose, but some people see it as, are you useful? Are you serving your purpose? It can sound like utility, which makes us into objects instead of the subjects of our life who are driving it. 
I think with something with purpose, it's also so personal in the way, not only what your purpose is, but in the way you think of it and define it. And the good thing is that there's no right way. There's no correct answer. It's like there's no textbook definition, even if there is, it's not like for everyone. But that's part of the beauty is figuring out not only what your purpose is, but also what purpose means for you and how you're going to go about discovering it. So unique. So many things are so deeply personal that it just requires a journey of self-discovery. There's not like an answer that you can read and understand that works for everyone. But it's the fun of it. So, I mean, all of these things you're describing and what you're doing and designing these experiences, these are all part of MindWise, right? So it'd be great if you could talk a little bit more about MindWise and also like what are typically like some of the problems that you are solving for? What is the problem that people come to you with when you go and solve it by creating these experiences? Sure. So MindWise is my company. So I founded it and it really is essentially tied to me. So it's become kind of synonymous with my identity because people I mean, you know, when we're entrepreneurs, we're very visible in the world right now. So MindWise is what I founded that had to do originally with a triangle of mindfulness, storytelling, and design. So some of the design involves a design thinking mindset, encouraging that deep inquiry and empathy, and really looking at these problems that I'm addressing through work associated with MindWise. It's usually about that connection, wanting to empower connection. People feel as if they're in experiences of rapid change. So for me, I deliver keynote speeches, I give workshops, I design those experiences in VR, and I do some experiences that are outside VR in person. And getting to guide that and be an expert consultant that really brings a lot of research to the table too. What I like in my company is I can have that creative freedom to also do a lot of research and bring it in and apply it to how I'm guiding an experience for others. And I get to say yes to a lot. And I think we all know as entrepreneurs that that can be a time crunch with setting boundaries, but you get to decide what projects really matter and what you want to work on. So yeah, I mean, some of the problems or the challenges that people will come to me about include how to incorporate technology in learning experiences. So sometimes I'm advising at the high school and university level, especially for programming that wants to integrate technology and look at which type of social emotional learning might be applicable to say a WebXR experience, which is more accessible to anybody with a browser versus an in-headset experience. So that's one type of challenge that I'm meeting on the ground, how people really want to approach technology, but they don't want to lose their humanity and they also don't want to lose their level of well-being and quality of life. So yeah, so I'm a guide at many different levels in these applications. Yeah, well, I mean, in the areas of mindfulness and storytelling and design, there's a massive array of problems and also opportunities that can arise from that. So I'm sure the versatility of it is high, but also exciting to see like how you can apply these fundamental concepts in order to solve like the different areas and problems that people can come at you with. Yeah, and, I, and like I, that. I should mention also, thank you. Yeah, I wanted to mention too that my curiosity led me to go back and get an MFA in poetry. 
So what's an MFA? A master of fine arts. So I went back to school and really studied storytelling and specifically thesis and poetry, but all different genres. So on the side, as I talk about storytelling with people, as I'm driving that deeper connection, a lot of what I'm doing is encouraging expressive art. You know, however you have your practice in art, and I don't mean that people have to be incredible. It's not about output. It's more about the process. But I'll talk about our poetic inspirations and how people have stories to tell. And for me, Julian, going back to to study the art of communication and creative writing and focus on poetry really taught me a lot about drilling down to the essence of an experience and making it visible to others. So we have this whole allegory of the hero's journey and a lot of the stories we tell. A story is a package of what we find meaningful. And if I can deliver it to you and you can pick it up, then it becomes something transferred that you understand. And then you will make your own meaning out of what I give to you. And I try to tell people that because as I'm consulting and coaching, I'm conscious that if you give someone a story, I think the stats show it's like 10 times more memorable than me just telling you random abstract concepts. You know, no, if I frame it in a story, you're going to remember it. And if I make it a story that's poetic and beautiful and visceral, then maybe you'll have that uplifted feeling as a response and you're going to remember it and say, and that made a difference. So yeah, that's also a component of what I do with MindWise, which led me to coaching TED Talks and all kinds of program support, because that's another embodiment of meaningful connection, like how we get in touch with our own stories and how we transmit them to others. I think that's at the core of humans. Storytelling is so core to our nature. And I really see stories as a way of resonating and relating with other people, especially because even if the story may not even resemble what you did, you can see parts of the characters or the personalities in yourself. So if you're telling me something that happened, I may not be able to pick points, but if I understand the characters in a story and their progressions, or they went through some challenge, there's more opportunities for relatability. And in that, the lessons and the memorability of that story becomes much more deeply ingrained, which just improves the quality and effectiveness of your communication, like substantially. So I'm curious, just for like a minute or two here, I think the hero's journey is really important to touch upon. So how do you use the hero's journey? Because one of the ways I like to think about it, especially like I like to think of the hero's journey in the sense of solving problems. So for example, you have your mystical hero trying to like slay the monsters and having crazy challenges, but becoming victorious. I almost like to gamify life from this perspective of the hero's journey. And whenever I get some really hard problem in my startup that I'm like, how the hell am I going to figure this out? It's kind of like I'm facing like a massive monster and boss. But at the moment that happens and I realize I'm a hero, it's like I realize, yo, I have weapons at my disposal and like crazy swords that I can use to fight this. It's not going to be an easy battle and I might get like hurt or discouraged, but that's part of the journey and the more difficult it is and 
the bigger the monster that is slain, the more victorious I will feel in the end and the more fulfilled it will be. I'm right there with you. I feel like you describe that and I'm kind of sitting on your shoulder, which is sort of this idea of the hero's journey. You take the viewer along, you're not alone. You're going through all of this feeling like it's a solo journey. And the way I often script it or introduce it is, A, you're not alone. Most people are sharing about their hero's journeys because you need to invite someone else to understand that story and see it through your eyes. So you know, as you're finding out your weapons or your magical elixirs, <laughs> whether it's knowledge or something that you're accessing, it's a way of encountering and approaching challenge. And each challenge in a traditional hero's journey is an invitation to either look at what we care about, look at what we're seeking. A good example of the way I use the hero's journey is with new technology. So I actually set it up. I think there are 12 steps of the hero's journey in Christopher Vogler's frame. And then there's also, I have it right next to me as a book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell's on my bookshelf. But let's just say it's not that many steps. I'll just set it up like scuba, like a scuba dive. I'll tell people, okay, hero's journey is always going into the unknown space. So let's say the unknown space is virtual reality. The S in scuba is for setting your intention. So you think about that trip that you're about to take into a new dimension and you say, okay, I'm a hero on a journey. What's my intention up front? And then C is when you cross the threshold into that unknown space. So for us, it could be like putting on the headset. It could be trusting the new environment. You get curious about it. You take in that cross of threshold and dare to comfort crush and push against your boundaries. Maybe you have a mentor This is typical in the hero's journey. A mentor pops up to kind of show you the way and introduce you a little bit. You think you can't do it, but you actually can. And then the you is when you're underwater in the scuba dive or under the experience. You're in that apotheosis moment of kind of facing some of those challenges and accessing those weapons that you discover that help you along the way. And then the B is that important transfer back. Like people always forget about the moment that you take off the headset or you come back to your perceived reality. But how are you bringing some of that special knowledge back to kind of level up in your awareness? So the end of my hero's journey, scuba dive, is usually that application, that A at the end about how do I transfer that? Like how do I take just something salient and meaningful and bring it back to my life. So yeah, so that would be a way I love to use the hero's journey. And that's a whole chapter in Designing Wonder because I want to facilitate people really accessing their own power as heroes on a journey and not feeling as if they have to do it in silence or in a solo mode of bearing that, what can feel like a challenge by ourselves. Absolutely. And that's a core lesson. Like it really doesn't have to be a journey you go on yourself. There can be multiple heroes as well. Like you don't have to be the only one. But yeah, I think a big component of it is understanding that part of it is venturing into the unknown and crushing that comfort. I love the term comfort crushing. It's it's so important. (laughs) And then from that space, you're able to like eventually if you crush comfort enough you become comfortable with discomfort and that really is one of the 
greatest superpowers that you can develop, especially as an entrepreneur, because the amount of uncertainty and discomfort that you're going to experience or rather need to experience in order to get to where you want to get is crazy. I think finally, I love your last step, which I haven't heard in the context of the hero's journey is like, how can you bring this home? You go, you got this victory, you feel enlightened. But for most people, that moment of enlightenment rapidly fades away. And it's kind of like you resort back to your state of normal being without taking the time to actually think through how do you actually apply this? moving forward. And I think about that a lot. Like if I learn a lesson, it's like, I ask myself, how can I turn this into a habit? How can I turn this into a mindset that I intentionally craft and make a part of the way that I think? Mostly the way I do this is always writing about it because through reflection and to putting it into words, you're able to more deeply capture the lesson and find a way to actually bring it into your daily life. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so important. And I think if we have a propensity to kind of face the challenges and forge new pathways, we also might be people that by step that application and that kind of stage of feeling that sense of accomplishment, and we might quickly move on to another challenge and another challenge. So it sort of perpetuates. It's really nice to also acknowledge when you come back that you've made progress, because I think part of that positive feedback is to ourselves, what keeps us going and keeps us compassionate. So yeah, honoring that and practicing that is a way to encode the habit and the behavior. It is. Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. Very, very invaluable on the hero's journey. Thank you for sharing that. So final two questions here before we close off, Caitlin. The first one is, if you could go ahead and teach all young entrepreneurs like one concept, whether it's related to life or entrepreneurship, what concept would that be? And I mean, you're a professor. So yeah, what do you usually like teach the younger generation, the younger entrepreneurs that you think would serve them the most? The first is something that came about naturally for me. I do teach a lot of what I call adaptive intelligence because we won't have just one thing. I think that people who might feel labeled, a lot of what I talk about is this quote by Walt Whitman, we contain multitudes. I'm a multitude, you're a multitude. This adaptive intelligence, whether it's the many aspects of yourself or people's ability to manage and thrive in midst of change, that's what I love to teach because we have these natural qualities within us to get curious and to be broader and wider than some of the perceived limits or the labels that other people place on us. And if we can combine that with our career goals, then amazing things start to happen. So yeah, that's one special knowledge that I love to lead and teach, especially to young entrepreneurs. (laughs) Oh man, I love that one because I think One of the things that drives me the most is knowing that like everyone is way more capable than they initially realize. And it's really like the limitations or the constraints of society or the self-imposed limiting beliefs that really like hold you back without even realizing it. So how would you say people can break out of that, like those limiting beliefs or just how do people realize that their actual human capacity and potential is much greater than their wildest imagination? I mean, we can look at case studies of people who thrive and people who are capable leaders. They tend to be very self-driven 
and also have sometimes multiple points in their career where they're trying new things, testing new things, and finding ways to, let's say, creatively embody more than one. Like, let's say somebody else would label me as a poet. I would say, yeah, but I'm also a scientist. Like, I design VR applications. And that type of fusion, it also lets me adapt to changing environments because sometimes I'll find um, that there's an opportunity to work in one way and that's great. And then other times I'll say, oh yeah, I'm kind of adapting to what I find is an emerging need, whether it's a need in the market or a personal need from my own self. So that's what I guide. And looking at that, actually thinking about yourself and being able to adapt to changes and say yes to new opportunities, it keeps us more resilient also in the long run because we're in an age and stage where there's more people involved in what we call a gig economy. There's more people doing work for themselves. So being able to do that and kind of live beyond labels, sure, we want to let someone else know how to reach us, but it doesn't limit us to having to do just one thing. So when people start to realize that, I think they start to tap into what they really want to do as opposed to maybe an inherited sense of obligation to serve one purpose. So that's one thing. And then the second thing that I would bring up that came up right away when you asked is about that conversion of fear into opportunity. So, you know, if anyone is a young entrepreneur and they tell me, I want something, but I'm kind of intimidated by it, whether it's giving a talk is a great example, I'm afraid to step up on stage and speak about this, you know, I'll say, well, the fact that you feel a certain level of fear means that you have placed value on that. And if there's something that is important enough to you to make you feel a certain sense of fear, it's like, oh, how can you really tune into that and convert that into opportunity? Because if we didn't feel any sense of nerves or intimidation by something, it probably would mean we were blasé and just kind of like, well, you know, I'm just going to ride the ride and let life pass me by. And I'm like, no, no, this is a great sign. When you fear something, it shows that you care. So how do we turn that care into a level of opportunity to thrive in that moment? And by the way, the audience leans in when they sense that your voice is a little bit nervous. People have your back. They care. And that's another little little tip that we as humans we don't want someone to be on autopilot and just kind of going through the motion. So, wow. Yeah. I love that one. And isn't that so true? I hadn't thought about that. If you can tell someone's presenting or speaking and they're nervous, you're like, come on, you got like in your head, you're like, you don't have to be afraid or you feel bad. You like support them. No one in their right mind is going to be like, oh, haha, like they're nervous or. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, make- they're being authentic. If they're bearing something that matters to them and if that person is just ready to catch it, when you make that visible and someone who wants to see that and hear that, they're going to pick that up and yeah, the world's better off. Wow. That is the greatest paradox to realize that the more fear you feel, that means that you care even more, which means you should push past that fear. And if you don't feel that much fear, either you've trained yourself very well psychologically, or it just doesn't matter that much to you. And maybe it's not even worth it to take the action. So it's a very, very interesting paradox. And 
almost like a complete mindset shift. If you feel that you can't, then you must. <laughs> this is very Yoda, right? Yes. If you feel you can't, then you must. <laughs> totally. I like that. Yeah. And it's humbling too, right? Because it's like, we're all human in this. We're not robots. Thank goodness. Who knows? Maybe we are. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out when you get to California. We'll do a Turing test. (laughs) Oh, dude, I'm going to pass. You don't even know. I'm a well-programmed machine. (laughs) That's funny. I'm constantly debugging myself. Yeah, I mean, me too. I'm in that club. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last quick question for you, Caitlin. I'm curious. So this is a show called Inventing the Future. So I'm curious, what impact do you want to have in the invention of the future? How will you invent the future? Oh, gosh. Well, I think that the future is a mindset, not a time frame. Marvin Minsky said that. He was one of the AI kind of pioneers. And how I want to impact the future is really that deep connection, connection and freedom. I would like to impact people at an individual and collective level feeling a greater amount of freedom, agency, and empowerment. So if I can be part of that, I feel happy at every step. That's deep purpose. So thank you for being along in that journey. I feel that that connection where you have a mission that also aligns. And it's just been, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and the communities that we're part of. It's a two-way street. I appreciate it, Kathleen. And that is a bold and beautiful vision. So thank you for working towards it. I love it. I love it. And I support it. And I'm glad could be part of the journey of creating that deep, meaningful connection. So awesome. With that, Caitlin, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Final thing, like where can people find you, connect with you, or learn more about what you're working on? My website is CaitlinKraus.com. And you can connect with me there. You can also look for me on LinkedIn at Caitlin Kraus. So I'm happy to connect. I am in many places and spaces on the social platforms, but probably best ways to reach me are first my website and also LinkedIn. Thanks so much, Julian. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming on. And thank you all for listening. With that, my friends, I will see you in the next episode. And until then, be infinite and take care. Hey guys, three quick footnotes here before closing off. So the first is, did you enjoy the topics discussed in this episode? Well, I invite you to join the Slack community for this podcast, where we'll keep the conversation going by engaging in discussions related to the episodes discussed in this podcast. Here, you'll be able to engage in conversations with me and other listeners. And if you really enjoy this podcast, it is likely that you would relate well with other listeners that also enjoy the podcast. In this community, you'll be able to meet, engage, learn from, and potentially collaborate with the like-minded entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. Let's invent the future together. The second quick note is if you are interested in receiving updates on new episodes, I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. And in this newsletter, I'll also share notes, insights, wisdom, tools, and strategies that are designed to help you become a better entrepreneur and live a healthier, fulfilling, and more productive life. And finally, the last footnote is that you can follow us on social media accounts to get updates on new episodes and engage with invaluable content related to entrepreneurship. 
And also, we have a website now. You can go to inventingthefuture.ai for detailed show notes on all the episodes. So the links for joining the Slack community, subscribing to the newsletter, the social media accounts, and the website can all be found in the show notes for this episode. So with that, I would like to wish you a day, week, year, and life filled with an abundance of love, energy, and prosperity. Take care and stay infinite, my friends.